Good morning, Evangel. Welcome on this rainy day. Nice to see you here. We're going to invite you to stand with us. God, you have done great things. God, you give grace to the weak. And bless the broken hearted with a song of praise to sing. You reached down and lifted us up. Come, so pour out your spirit. We long to be near you, oh God. 
sons and daughters we've gathered here to meet with you we lift our eyes we lay our hearts before you expectant here for you to move with God Amen. That's true, isn't it? That's why we've gathered here. Yes, to see each other, but we've come to together experience the presence of God here in this place. That's our heart's desire. Won't you wave, say hi to someone as you're seated this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's nice to see you here on this... uh, Rainy September morning, first Sunday of fall. We're glad that you're here and uh, to worship together with us. And our prayer for you here and for those of you who are joining us on the live stream this morning is that you would experience the presence of God in a life-changing way today. That's our prayer and our desire for you. We're delighted that you're here. If it's your first time here at Evangel in person, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're delighted that you came And um, we want to be able to come alongside and serve you in the chair seat in front of you. You'll find a connection card if you fill that out and leave it at the information desk at the end of the service in the foyer. Uh, Someone will meet you there and there's a small gift there for you and it will enable us to uh, hear back from you and find how we might be able to come alongside and serve you uh, as you may need. So, So welcome. And if it's your first Sunday, you picked a good Sunday to come because today is our fall barbecue. And so even though it's raining, 
you know, rain or shine, we're going ahead. And so uh, we're, we're doing our, our barbecue today. And there's been a crew of people who've been working hard since uh, early this morning, preparing everything and setting everything up and being ready for you. So you are all invited. You are all welcome. It's completely free of charge. And uh, if you're relatively new, it'll be a good opportunity for you to maybe meet some people that you haven't met before, and so we invite you to stay around and be a part of that. Now, Jennifer has some details about that, so I'm going to invite her to come and share those. Thank you, Jennifer, and just want to remind you as well, it is this time of year where our small groups reconvene, and our small group leaders will be in Stewart Hall today. There's a little uh, glass counter uh, in one corner, you'll notice there, and uh, if you want to drop by there, if you have some questions about what small groups are available, when they meet, so on, you can go by there and meet the leaders, uh, and, uh, and uh, everything that you may need to know about small groups, you'll find it there, so just keep that in mind. I'm going to invite Pastor Scott to come. He does have a, an announcement as well. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Kids, you are free to come over to this side. Your volunteers will meet you there. Uh, this morning, even though there are some exciting things to announce, also a part of being a part of a church family is that sometimes we have some sad things to announce. And this morning, I just want to let you know that uh, someone who has been a part of this church family for a very, very long time, uh, Milt Farrow, uh, passed away on, on Friday morning and... Uh, peacefully slipped into the presence of Jesus. And so we're praying for uh, Mary and her family today, and we will be praying for them later in the service. But I uh, just want to let you know that the funeral uh, for Milt Farrow will be next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, I should say, October the 1st at 11 a.m., and it will be here at Evangel. So Saturday morning, 11 a.m., October 1st, it will be here at Evangel. And the visitation for Milt will be on Friday Afternoon between 2 and 4, and evening between 7 and 9 at Capriva Taylor Funeral Home in downtown Oakville. So 2 to 4, 7 to 9 on Friday. And there will also be a one-hour visitation prior to the 11 o'clock service here on, uh, on Saturday morning. So uh, please keep that in mind. Uh, those are all the announcements that I have. At this time, I'm going to invite our, our ushers to receive our morning tithes and offerings, and I'm going to hand it back to Carlene at this time. God bless you as you continue to worship this morning. When I think about that bridge that we sang, come like a rushing wind, come light the fire again, I always feel like, who are we to stand in the presence of God and say, hey, come, come. We have no right, we have no standing. And then I'm reminded that when my kids come up to me <laughs> and ask for something, they're not feeling like they have to have audacious faith to come to me and say, hey, mom, can you come and do this? They just come. There is a confidence birthed out of relationship that they know they can trust. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, no, I'm not coming because you messed up this morning. Or no, I'm not going to give you this because you did something wrong. They know that there is a grace and a love that goes beyond and it breeds confidence. And so we've already sang some audacious things this morning. We've sang, we love your presence and we want you to come. And these next number of songs have been chosen because they build our memories that we can stand in a place of confidence 
because he's our father. And there's a grace and a love that is extended to us that's so much bigger than what you've failed at this week, than what you have not invested in your relationship with him this week. His grace and his love is bigger than that. So as we sing this morning, and as we sing about a confidence in his faithful hand in our lives, would you let your faith be built? Would you let your heart be touched by your father who loves you so much he wants to come? He's waiting and saying, just invite me in, put me in, and I'm there. He's actually there even before we ask, but we need our hearts tuned. Would you stand and would you sing with us this morning? I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God, the stare The promise of the shore. I trust the power of your word. Enough to seek your kingdom first. Beyond the barren place. Beyond the ocean wave.
I've never been abandoned. You are my inheritance. You are my strength and shield, and I have confidence. You go before me. You're my deliverer. I know I never walk alone. Be still, my soul. place to grow and to be changing in our lives. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. 
So Saul took 3,000 able men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed one of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Carlene and worship team, for leading us this morning so beautifully. When our children were younger, one summer, our vacation was a driving vacation in the U.S., and we stopped for the night at a roadside motel, and everyone was thirsty, so I took the two older kids with me to the vending machine to get a couple of drinks. And so we put our money in and selected some Dr. Pepper, and to our surprise, the machine malfunctioned. And the Dr. Peppers kept coming as fast as we could pull them out of the dispensing tray. And by the time the machine settled, we had acquired about 10 Dr. Peppers for the price of one. Well, the kids were so excited. I mean, this was their lucky day. Oh, I'm sorry. They were pastor's kids. They were blessed. They they were blessed. And that is until I told them that they couldn't keep the blessing. They weren't allowed to keep the blessing. So we loaded up our arms and we carried the extra cans to the reception area and just plunked them down on the counter and returned them to the owner. I tried explaining to the kids that the motel owner actually owned those extra drinks. They were were his, and that he had paid for them at much less than we would have, but nonetheless, he did. And it wouldn't be right for us to keep them. In fact, it was kind of like stealing. And so, despite my efforts, though, they, they really weren't pleased that they had to return this blessing of God windfall that they'd experienced at the vending machine. Most often, doing the right thing is difficult to do, because doing the right thing usually will cost us something. But we do the right thing because it's right, not because it's easy. (laughs) That's what we want to live our lives by, and that's what we want to teach our kids. And so, I want you to know that returning the extra Dr. Peppers was not really that hard. It wasn't really that big a sacrifice. There are a lot of other moments that I can recall in my life where I've had to wrestle through what the cost and implications would be of doing what I thought was right, much more significant and severe than returning a few extra cans of pop. 
And of course, around our world, we see examples of the high cost of doing the right thing all through history. We see it in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. and his fight for human rights, or William Wilberforce and his stand against the slave trade, or people like Nelson Mandela imprisoned for his stand against apartheid in South Africa. And of course, the greatest example that we could recite this morning is Jesus Christ laying down his life to save all of us. Doing the right thing is hard, and it often comes at great cost. And so today, we are going to continue our fall sermon series entitled, Heart for God, based on the life of David, who is referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And today, we're going to be considering one of the many encounters between David and Saul, and we'll be reminded today that those who have a heart for God do the right thing, even though it is difficult to do, and comes at great cost. So let's begin today, and let's start with jealousy. Last week, we focused on the story of David and Goliath and how David, with God's help, defeated this Philistine champion. From the time of killing Goliath, we're told that Saul kept David with him. David wasn't allowed to return back to his father's home, back to uh, his job of tending the sheep for his father. Saul decided the best place for David was in his army, so he became a part of Saul's army and was successful in every mission that Saul sent him on. And so as he fought in each battle and did well and had success, he began to become promoted to higher ranking and recognition. We're told that Saul, his troops, and all of his officers were pleased with David. They were all impressed with this young man, everything that he was doing. And on one particular occasion, the army was returning from a victorious battle, and along the road, some of the women in the towns came out to meet the king and the army, and they were singing, and they were dancing, and they were playing instruments. It was a time of great excitement and celebration. The, you know, the armies and the king had been victorious, and the people were celebrating. It was a great time. Now, there were, Scripture tells us the words of the song that they were singing. It doesn't give us the melody or the tune, so, so for that reason, I'm not going to sing it for you. But, but it does give us the words, and the words were these. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And as Saul heard these words being sung, his joy quickly turned to anger. He was jealous he felt threatened by David's support and success. He was afraid that David would take his kingdom from him. In fact, in 1 Samuel 18, 12, we read that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. In our first week, we focused on David being chosen by God to be the king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And at the very end of that account, we read the words that the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward in power after he was anointed. But you may notice, and if you want to go back at another time, the very next verse, the very next verse says that the Spirit of God departed from Saul. 
So we have the Spirit of God coming on David and the Spirit of God coming on Saul, and Saul knew it. And so David became and remained Saul's enemy. Saul desired to kill David to eliminate the threat. And so David had to run away from Saul and hide for his life. Secondly, despair. David and his men, and at this time there were about 400 of them. If you continue reading the story, and we'll get there eventually, he reaches a point of 600 at some point. And they were on the run from Saul. So it's a pretty large group that were, that were on the run. The Bible gives us actually a few details about these men in, in other places. We're told that these 400 men were in debt. They were in debt. They owed money that they couldn't repay. Some of you are thinking, oh, I could, I could qualify for that, that gig. They, they were in debt. And so Saul had overburdened the people. They had been so busy fighting but not getting paid for it. And so here they are. They found themselves in financial situation. And so this financial situation. So maybe thinking, well, you know what? If we join with David, part of you know, being a part of this ragtag group might be that we'll do some looting and we'll get some resources and this may be lucrative for us. So, so we're told that they, they were people in debt. We're also told that they were discontented. I mean, that is, isn't that just the most favorite group of people to lead? I mean, that's the dream come true. You have 400 discontented people that you get to lead. Wonderful. And that's what we're told. They're discontented. But they weren't discontented with, with David yet. <laughs> There's another whole sermon in there, right? They're going to get discontented later with David. But right now, they're bitter and disillusioned by Saul. And so they're leaving Saul's church. Oh, sorry, I went to that other sermon. They're leaving Saul and they're going to David because they're discontented. They're bitter. They, they wanted to follow a real leader. They didn't like Saul's leadership. They didn't like being a part of Saul. And so they left. And we're also told that David's brothers, who have not really been very supportive, they actually joined as well, not because they love David so much, but they are actually thinking, well, if Saul hates David and wants to kill him, maybe they'll, he'll kill us if we hang around. So maybe we're better off with David than we are with Saul. So they, they joined. So David has these 400 men, and they're on the run from Saul, and they're hiding in a cave. Now, our scripture doesn't give us insight into what David is feeling or thinking in these moments. But Psalm 142 does. If you will, Psalm 142 is like reading David's diary. It's reading his journal. In fact, if you look in your Bible, it'll say 142, a psalm of David in the cave. That, that's what it is. And it's written by David in the cave in this moment. And in this psalm, you'll see that David declares that he has trust in God as his protector and refuge. But he also tells us how he's really feeling. How he's really feeling. And he said, I look around me and there's no one that really cares about me. There's no one who even really knows who I am, who even takes the time to, to know me. He says, I'm in desperate need. I'm desperate, and what I'm facing is too strong for me. I mean, this is his diary, one, Psalm 142. What a far cry from the words that he was declaring when Goliath was shouting in the valley and suddenly the giant slayer is hiding in a cave. He's feeling trapped. He's lonely even though he's surrounded by 400 other people. He's overwhelmed with despair. He feels hopeless and helpless because he doesn't know how he's going to get out of this. 
And in his despair, he cries out to God for mercy. He begins to complain to God, it says, about his trouble. And he's pleading, pleading for God to hear him and rescue him, declaring, God, you are the only hope that we have. You are my refuge. You're it. If you don't come through, we're done. David was in despair. And then we see his integrity. Saul received a report that David was of his David's latest hiding place, and immediately, and I love how the Bible tells us, he picked 300 of the young skilled warriors, right, in comparison to David's group, and headed out to find David to kill him. I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from the humanness of its characters. I mean, there's really no way to work around the awkwardness of this. I mean, Saul needed to go to the bathroom, right? It happens. Saul needed to go to the bathroom, so he went inside of a cave for privacy. And David and his 400 men are hiding at the very back of the very same cave. I mean, awkward moment, really. But David's men saw this moment as an opportunity to eliminate the enemy. Operation Elimination. See what I did there? Sorry, I just, I just had to go there. He's isolated from his troops. He's in a vulnerable position. David, prior to Saul's entry, had been crying out to God, God, rescue me from this enemy, Saul. And as far as the men were concerned, wow, David, God just answered your prayer. God brought him into the cave all by himself. He's vulnerable. It's time to strike. Killing Saul would be easy. Killing Saul would avenge the pain that Saul had inflicted on David. Killing Saul would expedite God's promise to David, and he would become quick king sooner. But David knew that this was not the way God planned for the transition of leadership to happen. However, he did creep up on Saul and cut a piece of his robe without Saul knowing and then return back to his men. But immediately upon doing that, David, we're told, was conscience-stricken. He was conscience-stricken about what he had done. Because David knew and viewed Saul as God's anointed king. He was. Saul was God's anointed king. And if there was vengeance that was needed here, that belonged to God and God's direction. It didn't belong to him. And so David, David, because he was a man of integrity, confessed to his men and said, listen, what I just did was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. That was, that was arrogant. I took things into my own hands, and, and my, my conscience is heavy because of it, and I want you to know this is not the right thing. In the meantime, Saul left the cave without even knowing what had transpired. Once Saul had gotten far enough away from the cave, David emerged from the cave and he called out to Saul. And I want you to notice how he addressed him. He says, my Lord, the king. And he even bowed. And he said, why do you think I want to harm you? Why do you listen to, to the people that tell you 
that I want to harm you. God delivered you in my arms in that cave, and even though I was urged to kill you, I spared you. And then showed him the piece of cloth. David declared that God would avenge the wrongs that Saul had committed against him, but that he wouldn't personally bring any harm to Saul. That was God's job to do, and he would leave that with God. And Saul realized that he had treated David badly and admitted, he said, David, you're a better man than I am. And you know what else, David? Someday you're going to be king. Someday you're going to be king. There's so many places we could go with this this morning, but I've just focused, decided just to focus on two. The first is highs and lows. We all know that life is filled with high moments and low moments. Times when everything seems to be great, it's all working out, it's all coming together, and then there are times when nothing seems to be right. Nothing's working out. Nothing is coming together. And being a follower of Jesus doesn't exempt us from the highs and lows of life. In fact, what I really love about the Bible is that God makes sure that we see the struggles of those who are deemed to be spiritual giants. The Bible goes to great lengths to make sure we see the human side of these people that we often put on pedestals. Because we can't relate to perfection. None of us here could relate to to a perfect human being. And so we'd read the story and go, yeah, but, you know, they were perfect. But we can relate to people who struggle. We're drawn to that. We can relate to that because our stories intersect and we can see our story in their story. And so all of us will experience highs and lows in this life and for a variety of reasons. And during the lows, our experience will often be similar to David's experience. We will feel lonely even though we're surrounded by people. You can be in a marriage and feel lonely. You can be a part of a family and feel lonely. You can be a part of a church. You could be sitting here this morning and being in a crowd and feel incredibly lonely. We'll feel like no one really cares. Have you ever thought that? It's kind of looking at your life and your situation and think, no one really cares about me. No one really understands what I'm going through. Now, the opposite side of that is when people go, I know exactly what you're going through. No, you don't. (laughs) So let's clarify that. But we often feel like no one understands where I am. We may feel that, you know what, no one really takes the time or makes the effort to understand what I'm going through. You know, they just name off these phrases, spiritual phrases, but they don't go deeper than that. We often feel helpless because our circumstances are often so overwhelming and so much stronger than we are that we feel like, you know what, there's no hope here. There's no way out. And so we can relate to David in the cave. 
We can relate to those emotions and those experiences of coming off of a high, of being, you know, the giant slayer to the low of being in this cave. We can relate to that. And like David, many of us have had those experiences where we complain to God, right? It's not fair. Why is this happening to me? I've been faithful. I put my trust in you. I've been obedient to what you asked. And so why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Or why this? Of all the things that could have happened, why did it have to be this? Or why now? Of all the time for this to happen, why does it happen now? We understand David. We understand why he said the things that he said. Doing what is right when everything seems wrong is not always easy to do. But we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's right. David chose in the midst of his loneliness, his despair, his hopelessness, he chose to do the right thing. David leaned into God. He cried out to God. He pleaded with God for God's intervention and God's rescue. And by faith, he declared in advance that God was his source of help and that God would rescue him even though he hadn't been rescued yet. We sang about some of those things this morning, about looking of God's faithfulness in the past, and we talked about that last week. Eventually, this low experience that David had ended. It ended in God's time, and it ended in God's way, and it ended that way because David did what was right, even though what was right was hard to do. And so this morning, I want to encourage all of us, when we're going through those lows, we too need to trust in God. We need to do the right thing even when it's hard and allow God to work in His way and in His time in our lives the same way He did in the life of David. Secondly, revenge. Sadly, throughout this life, there will be moments and maybe multiple moments when we will be hurt deeply. We'll be hurt deeply by the words of another person. We'll be hurt deeply by the behavior of another person. We will be hurt deeply by the lack of response of others when we need them, at the time when we need them to support us, when we need them to advocate for us, when we need them to come alongside, when we need them the most, they're not there. And that will hurt us deeply when they do and say nothing. The deepest hurt, and we know this, most often comes from those who are closest to us, those we love the most those we trusted the most. Those are the deepest hurts. And as humans, we hurt others. And we do that because by nature, we're very selfish. And so many times in life, we put our own needs and our own interests ahead of the needs and interests of others, and we make decisions, and we say things and do things. And in that process of making, attempting to make life better for ourselves, we, we hurt others. 
Sometimes we struggle with insecurity and we feel threatened like Saul. We're insecure, we feel threatened, and so in an attempt to protect ourselves, we hurt other people. When someone hurts us, whether it's with their words or their behavior or their inaction and lack of response, when that happens, and you've heard me say this before, an emotional debt is created in us when someone hurts us. And that emotional debt demands repayment. You hurt me, therefore you owe me. You need to pay for what you have done. And like David, we wrestle with what to do with that hurt. What do we do when someone says or does or locks in response and creates hurt and this debt? How do we respond? What do we do? when we're hurt like that? Do we look for an opportunity like David's men did when that person is vulnerable? And all of a sudden, when they're in their most vulnerable moment, we can strike back. So you, you can know what this feels like. Do we take things into our own hands? Do we feel that it's our job to make it right? Responding out of hurt to make another person pay for the hurt that they've inflicted on us most often results in creating a lot more hurt. Thus the phrase, hurting people hurt people. We're reminded from the life of David today that it's not our place to act in revenge. To inflict equal pain on the one who has hurt us. To attempt to release the emotional payback, emotional debt with payback and revenge. As followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we need to invite him into the wounds in our lives. We need to invite him into the wounded areas, the the things that we suppress and push down, the the areas of our lives that often are hidden. We need to invite him into those wounded areas of our lives, into the broken places in us, and ask him to bring healing and to restore what's been damaged, broken, and stolen from us. He's the one we need to invite into those spaces. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to forgive. We are called to release the demand of the debt, legitimate debt, real hurt. And dare I say, in the words of Jesus, to even love our enemies. Talk about doing the right thing when it's hard. David and Saul, all of a sudden in this moment where, you know, Saul has this moment of like, wow, David, you're better than me and someday you're going to be king and you know what, let's hang out for the rest of our days and, you know, we'll have banquets and we'll go on rides together and, you know, oh no, they didn't become good friends after David released his need to avenge the pain that Saul had afflicted on him. That's not how it worked. They went their separate ways. 
And eventually Saul did die at his own hand, I might add. Folks, some relationships are complicated. Some, it's just, they just can't be redeemed. They're complicated. And I'm not going to get into examples, but, but there are. But releasing the demand for debt repayment because we do that because it can set us free to live our lives. When we harbor that unforgiveness, when we hold on to that bitterness, it just, you know, destroys us. It's like someone said, you know, being being unforgiving is like drinking poison in hopes that someone else dies. And so we release the demand for the debt repayment of the hurt that's been caused so that we can be set free to live our lives with hope and with joy, even though there will be many occasions when the other person may not have any interest in receiving your forgiveness or your debt release. But that's not why we do it. Doing the right thing is hard, especially when the hurt is deep. But we don't do the right thing because it's easy or because the other person deserves it. We do it because it's right. We do it because that's what it means to have a heart for God. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Folks, all of us will experience highs and lows in this life. And we're going to experience emotions that are going to engulf us, dominate us. And I want to encourage us today that in these times, let's let's cry out to God and let's look to Him for intervention and rescue. People will hurt us deeply and we may feel the need to make them pay. Doing the right thing is hard, especially when the heart is deep, but we don't do it because it's easy, we do it because it's right. Because those who have a heart for God do the right thing when it's difficult to do. Even when it comes at great cost. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I just want to say, two Sundays ago, after a long break because of the pandemic, we returned to inviting people to come to the front so that I could pray with them or one of the other staff members could pray with them. And we're going to do that again today, but I I just want to say today, for those of you who may be considering, I, I would like someone to pray with me. My goal as the pastor here is to create a safe opportunity for you to be prayed for and cared for. And I want want to tell you what I mean by safe. Number one, most often when people come for prayer, it's for something that is very private and highly confidential. And for that reason, what they are saying, they want that to be for my ears only. And so I want to create a safe environment where people can come And if they want to share, feel comfortable to do that, knowing it's between the two of us. So it's safe in that regard. But also safe from the standpoint of, there are many people who are immune compromised. 
And so even though I may not be wearing a mask during the service, when I go down to pray, I wear it in res- out of respect for them and to give them a sense of comfort of the safety of that environment as well, if that's why they're choosing to wear their mask. And so because of that, the way we're doing prayer these days will be that myself or maybe other members of our staff will pray with you. But I want to guarantee you that it will be safe from a confidentiality and from as best as we can a health standpoint. Because we want to be able to encourage you and pray with you if that is the desire of your heart. So that being said, I'm going to come down here and if some of you would like someone to pray with you, I will be there to pray with you, to safely pray with you. Carlene, can you lead us, please? God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me
Amen. It's a song of testimony, isn't it? His faithfulness to us. As we conclude our service this morning, we're going to pray. And uh, this week on Monday, both Milt and Edith were moved into palliative care at the same time. So we're going to pray for Mary and her family as they deal with the grief and the loss, Milt. And we're going to pray for Edith and her family as she's in the final days of her life here and the anticipation of her greatest hope, which is that moment where she'll see Jesus face to face. And so we want to pray for her as well. We're praying for Jack as well. Jack Mode has been released now from hospital, doing better back home. So let's, let's pray together for these members of our family, our community this morning. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are faithful, that you have been faithful. We thank you, God, for this church community and the faithfulness that has been demonstrated through the lives of so many in this place for so long. And many of us today are reaping the blessing and the benefits of the faithfulness of those who served you here for so many years. And so today we think of Edith and we pray for Edith. We pray for peace and comfort and strength. We pray for her family as they spend time with her. And we pray, Lord, that when that moment comes, we thank you for the hope that we have that the moment that she is absent from her body, that she'll be present with the Lord. So, Lord, would you give strength and hope, peace to them. Lord, I pray for Mary and her family today. We thank you for the so many ways that Milt contributed to the life of this church community. Faithfully serving in so many ways. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his legacy. And we thank you, Lord, that after a very long period of struggle, he's safely in your arms today. For those who are left to grieve and mourn, for Mary who's spent a lifetime with Milt, for their family, while they rejoice that he's with you, they are adjusting to the reality that he's no longer here with us. Would you help them, minister to them, and strengthen them this week, as, especially as they prepare to celebrate his life? And Lord, we just thank you for that. Father, we thank you that Jack is showing improvement and now back home. We thank you for that. We pray that you would touch him and strengthen him and be with him. For Cammie today, Lord, thank you that she's seeing improvement as well. And would you continue to be with her? So many who are not able to be physically here with us, but are in our hearts today and are in our thoughts and our prayers today. And Lord, for those who are in this room who are carrying so many different things, Holy Spirit, would you just continue to be faithful to minister, to lead us, 
and to help us. We pray these things. And Lord, we thank you that we can be together as a community today, even though it's raining on the outside, that we can celebrate joy together on the inside. So Lord, would you smile upon us as we spend this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Just reminder, through these doors, up the stairs and down the hall, and there is a group of people waiting to serve you. Uh, If you can't stay, God bless you. Thank you for being here today.